I had sex for the first time when I was nine years old. Uh, believe me, the event was much less dramatic than the statement. I grew up in Louisiana, and no, the girl I was doing this with was not my cousin. <laughs> her name was Kim. She lived across the street, and her parents and my parents were friends. We all went to the same Baptist church, and indirectly, it was the church that prepared me for this act. At the church preschool, they had a little plastic red and blue box with different shaped holes in it. Circle, square, rectangle, star. And there were these little plastic yellow pieces that fit into the holes. The star went into the star-shaped hole, the cylinder into the round hole. You get the idea. I was very good at this. <laughs> now, my sexcapades with Kim started with some standard, innocent, you-show-me-yours-I'll-show-you-mine stuff. I had a fort in the back corner of my yard, a 10 by 10 wooden box with two sets of bunk beds inside. My uncle owned a carpet store, and I covered the inside of the fort, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, with several carpet samples. In a Louisiana summer, when temperatures hit 100 plus with 80% humidity, that fort was like a Native American sweat lodge. It also became my hot little love nest. Kim and I would go back there to play house, and before long, you show me, I'll show you, turned into, let's get naked and lie on top of each other. And then one day, drawing on my expert skills at putting round pegs into round holes, I told Kim, I think I'm supposed to put this in there. Now, I didn't really know this was technically sex because I had no idea what sex was. It was all fairly innocent, just something to pass the time. Play Monopoly, watch Brady Bunch, have sex, see you tomorrow. <laughs> Mind you, this was pre-puberty, so there was no finish line to this race. These sentences had no, shall we say, punctuation marks. You just sort of stopped and went, okay, now what do you want to do? But here's where it gets a little weird. We weren't always alone. Sometimes my friend Carl would be with us, and he would watch. Carl was two years older. He lived down the street, and he was the son of my mom's best friend. Carl was devious, one of those kids you really don't want your kid to hang out with, always looking for trouble. He had a cowlick. Ah. <laughs> Why that made him seem untrustworthy, I do not know. We used to go to the neighborhood Kmart and steal candy, not individual pieces or bars, whole boxes. Then we'd go back home and set up a stand on the curb and sell them to kids in the neighborhood. All Carl's idea. I think my mom let me hang out with him because she felt bad for him. Carl's dad was a fighter pilot who'd been shot down five years earlier at the start of the Vietnam War. Carl also had a fort. His was a tree house. We would play in there, and let's just say that at Carl's preschool, he must have had one of those red and blue boxes as well. But for him, his yellow peg went into different holes. Now, I was a good little Christian boy. I went to Sunday school and children's church. In the summer, I even went to vacation Bible school. Words that should not go together. <laughs> all of this made me well-versed in all things biblical. I had heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, but no one bothered to explain to me what sodomy was. Of course, I'm not exactly sure how I would have expected that to go down in Sunday school. 
Well, Carrie, sodomy is when a man sticks his pee-pee in another man's poop hole. Okay, Jesus loves me from the top. <laughs> I didn't know what fellatio was either. If you'd asked me, I would have guessed it was a character from Pinocchio. <laughs> Nonetheless, sodomy and fellatio were happening in Carl's treehouse hideaway. But honestly, I don't feel scarred by it. It didn't alter my sexuality. It's not something I wrestle with. I don't feel violated. For me, it was really no different than what I was doing with Kim. But for Carl, I would later learn it was different. And he went on to have a pretty rough life. It must have been awful growing up gay without a father in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And he probably took it badly when I stopped going over to his house. It wasn't because of the treehouse activities. No, it was far worse. He had threatened to steal my swing set. Literally, threatened to lift it and carry it out of my yard. <laughs> Which, in retrospect, I now know would have been impossible. But at the time, it motivated me to take a little break from Carl. But as for my Fifty Shades of Grey Junior Edition moments with Kim <laughs> in my little shag carpet grotto, that continued until it all came crashing down. I was taking a bath one night, and my mom came in, as usual, to get me out of the tub and dry me off. But my dad was with her, and he shut the door. When you're nine and a parent enters the room and shuts the door behind them, you know, this shit's about to get real. <laughs> While drying me off and making very little eye contact, my mom said Kim's mom had told her about what we had been doing. Now, I knew what it was. She knew what it was. My dad knew what it was but the actual act would not be named or explained. If ever there was a time to tell your kid about the facts of life, that was it. I had done the deed, but the deed would only be referred to with cautious euphemisms. Phrases like, things like that, or that sort of thing, were used with measured caution. They said, that sort of thing was only done by a couple who was married and it was the most beautiful thing two people could share. I wasn't sure I agreed. I had seen dogs do it. It wasn't beautiful. <laughs> and how did Kim's mom know what we had been doing? Carl's mom told her. Because Carl told his mom. I guess he'd figured if he wasn't getting any, that me and Kim wouldn't be getting any either. Of course, Carl failed to tell his mom about what he and I had been doing. That might have prompted a different conversation from my parents. I can say with some surety, they wouldn't have thought that was the most beautiful thing two people could share. <laughs> so there I stood in my bathroom, like Adam in the Garden of Eden, suddenly aware of my nakedness, the figurative fig, the figurative fig leaves forming over my naughty bits. I was ashamed. I felt dirty. But here's the other Garden of Eden moment that happened that day. My parents had inadvertently created forbidden fruit. And I would spend the next 15 years in the guilt-ridden pursuit of that fruit. I became a walking contradiction. In high school, I was an insufferable, self-righteous evangelical and a complete horn dog. <laughs> I wanted it, but couldn't have it. Because now, instead of Carl who was watching, it was Jesus like he didn't have better things to keep an eye on. <laughs> so I made my own little set of rules. I would never take someone's virginity. I just didn't want to be that guy when women were answering the question, who is your first? How noble. Then came my encounter with Robin, 
See, I knew she was a virgin. After a bad breakup, she came to my house upset and confused with questions for me about spirituality and faith. We talked, we prayed, I led her to the Lord, and then I slept with her. Yeah, I know it sounds terrible. <laughs> because it is terrible. But for that level of closeness, that intense sharing of feelings, sex felt like the next logical step. Maybe that's what Kim and Carl and I were experimenting with. How to get closer to someone you really like. Confusing physical intimacy with the real thing. Maybe I was scarred. I did feel bad about what I had done with Robin. In fact, every sexual encounter I had ended with me feeling bad about it. That same feeling I felt while being toweled off by my mom in my bathroom. I dated a nice Christian girl for two years when I was in college, and we would try and try to not have sex, but eventually we would, we would lose that fight. And then we'd pray about it, the Christian version of smoking a cigarette. <laughs> then a miracle happened. I realized there's no God. And at age 22, I decided without Jesus sitting in the corner watching, I was now free to have as much guilt-free sex as I could. And weirdly, another gay man would play a part in this pursuit. My best friend at the time was Christian and gay and was going to one of those programs that can make you ungay. One of the guys in the program, Scott, was the director of the day camp in Malibu, and they needed a musical director. And that's when I met Netta, one of the camp counselors. Scott, who I would later learn, was a pathological liar, told me that Netta and her friend Liz were going to a program where the objective was to learn how to have better sex. <laughs> Hearing this, ah, I knew she was the gal for me. <laughs> I asked her out, and on our first date, I learned that not only was she not going to a program to learn to have better sex, she'd never dated anyone before, had never kissed a guy, and if anything were going to happen, I would be her first. So nothing happened. We went on a few dates, had a really nice time, and at the end of the summer, she moved to Paris to do her junior year at the Sorbonne. I wasn't sure I'd ever see her again. And then she wrote me letters, honest, heartfelt letters about her thoughts on life, on love, and her growing feelings for me. Had she been in the same room, I probably would have felt the uncontrollable urge to follow Olivia Newton-John's advice and get physical. But instead, I wrote back, expressing my honest feelings as well. She had showed me hers, so I showed her mine. Two years later, we were married. 28 years later, we still are. Without those letters, I'm not sure we would have ever gotten to know each other. And I'd like to tell you what they said, but I can't. <laughs> because it was private, it was honest, it was intimate. And that is the most beautiful thing two people can share. Thank you.